Welcome to another episode of the Hat Collecting Talk Show, where we talk about the many different metaphorical hats that people wear in our lives, because no one does just one thing and everyone has a story. Uh, I'm your host, Lacey Artemis, a creative Jill of all trades in Toronto. And uh, each episode, I have a new guest, or I ask them the same set of questions to get unique insights on the same ideas. Uh, today, my guest is Nahum Mann, uh, an acti- who is an activist, a traveler, a housing advocate, and a dad. He organizes with the Davenport Mutual Aid Network in Toronto's West End. And for the listeners, uh, Nahum uses he, him pronouns. Welcome to the show, Nahum. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, so we've been talking for a little while about doing this, and it's great that it's uh, finally happening. Um, Yeah, so uh, we usually start the show now with um, talking about uh, where the guest kind of grew up. I know a lot of my guests are uh, currently living in Toronto or from Toronto, but uh, just in case I ask anyways. (laughs) Yeah, actually, um, I grew up in many, many, many different places. I think I've moved like somewhere between 60 and 70 times in my life. Um, Oh my goodness. So I don't consider any one of them um, where I grew up. I'm very comfortable calling Toronto my home. Been here for the past six years. Hmm. Okay. Um, Well, with that said, um, I will do the land acknowledgement for Toronto. Um, Toronto, or Takaronto, is located on the traditional unceded territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations, the Huron-Wendat, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Anishinaabe. It is a dish-with-one-spoon treaty territory, and we are uninvited visitors on this land. Uh, As you do a lot of uh, activism and organizing work, um, do you have any additional thoughts that you'd like to offer on that? You know, I've been learning a lot, um, like giving land acknowledgements and trying to not make it sound the same every time. Um, it's amazing how uh, old the dish with one spoon wampum is actually like pre-contact with um, colonial settlers. So uh, there's so much history. It's you, We hear these things a lot, but um, it was big for me to kind of actually put a date to it and think about the context of like all these histories happening around the world. Pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people don't realize if they, well, I think a lot of average people for lack of a better term, probably think that like, you know, like white European settlers have been here for forever, but actually we've only been here for a very short time compared to the, uh, you know, the native population. So that is definitely a good thing to acknowledge. Um, so I usually ask about like kind of, um, stereotypes about where people grew up, but since you've kind of been all over the place, um, I know that you are a traveler. Um, do you want to maybe talk about any, uh, stereotypes or misconceptions about people that kind of like move around a lot or, or travel a lot? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I guess like a big misconception sometimes, especially like, um, as we get older is like the sort of like wanderlust kind of like element of traveling, like, um, you know, being, being free and spreading your wings and and traveling around places. Um, I actually moved around a lot because um, growing up, my dad was a minister, kind of like a, like an army kid, the pastor's kids usually uh, end up getting moved around all over the place. So, um, a lot of my traveling was not 
uh, not by choice. <laughs> I'll say that that that's the big misconception. I think you uh, might actually be my first guest with uh, with a background like that. So that's kind of exciting. So with that said, I will kind of move on to, as I'm very curious to ask, so of all the things that you do that were in your uh, bio or that aren't in your bio, um, I guess we should focus on the bio ones. Um, how did you get into the things that you're currently doing? Well, I've always been like a very kind of curious person. When I got into grade like seven, grade eight, I got really into politics. I was living in the States at the time and watched, um, like I remember watching the the Al Gore versus George Bush election in 2000 and like such like a spectacle on the news. And then, you know, 9-11 happened the next year. And so for me, like those are definitely looking back like big kind of marker points at which like I felt really called to news, politics, that kind of thing. Um, but then I'd say like, I, I, I kind of got radicalized in my twenties. I was studying journalism during the um, 2008 economic crash. So I'm like studying journalism while like all these newspapers are filing for bankruptcy and really like question lots of things and then um you know a few years later i was in toronto for the g20 and uh and then after that occupy happened and it's kind of just been like um from those years like 2010 2011 i've just been like this is what i feel called to do this is where i feel like my um you know, like my skills, but also, you know, my privileges um, need to be applied to to try and make some change. So those were like pretty pivotal moments for me. Yeah. And uh, how did you uh, get involved specifically with the Davenport Mutual Aid Network? So I've been living in Davenport for about five, six years now. And, um, you know, I just started to get involved in things like um, I'm a dad as well. So when my daughter started kindergarten, I joined the parent council and like chaired the parent council. And then through that, you know, got, um, got involved in like learning more about the TDSB and the, sorry, the Toronto district school board and like school policies and all of these things. I met our trustee at the time and, um, so I've just have been really engaged in lots of different ways, trying to do like local advocacy work, um, you know, really like fight for justice and equity on some pretty big development projects that are happening in my neighborhood. So, you know, just slowly building a network, building trust with people, building a, I feel like a deep kind of understanding of what's happening in in Davenport and, and in the city, to be honest. And um really interested as well in this idea of like local, like really neighborhood level, like local democracy. Like what if we were just, what if we just like made decisions like in our neighborhoods and talked to our neighbors and worked together. And that felt 
big and lofty and ambitious. And I wasn't really sure how to apply it. And then this year with, um, you know, with the pandemic and with lockdown, there then was like this need for, you know, connecting people kind of on their block or in their building to just make sure that, you know, if folks are isolated or folks are vulnerable in any way, immunocompromised, that that there would be a kind of ne- network of support. And um, it just has blossomed this year. Um, I think a lot of people need help, but I think a lot of people really felt called to to be a part of um, community as well. So, yeah. yeah, I, um, I up until recently lived in the Davenport area and uh, that's for the listeners and the viewers. That's how I met my guest. Um, and it's something that like I've for the most of my time in Toronto, when I've actually been more like politically aware, I've been living in like NDP strongholds. And this was kind of the first time that, that wasn't really the case. And then finding you and the things that you were doing, it was really kind of like motivating and inspiring of like, I want to do more. And it sounds like you're really uh, taking up that, uh, that phrase or I'm not sure if it's like a motto but like when people say like you know think globally but act locally and that's really how the change actually does happen because if you think like I want to you know stop climate change like well you can't do that but you can like you know help create like you know recycling or composting programs or things like that with your actual like neighborhood and um, that's that's definitely the right place to start I think Um, but yeah so the next question here um, when you were a child, do you remember what you wanted to be or to do when you grew up? Um, different things. Um, you know, I definitely really, really loved music. I played music, um, throughout most of my childhood. Um, so that always felt like a pretty deep part of me. Um, but, you know, I also like, I really... I uh, enjoyed cooking. I learned cooking from from both my parents um, at a pretty young age and felt like maybe that was my future. When I got to high school, um, just talking about journeys, um, I actually wanted to join the army. And I was really like, I was in the army cadets and I like um, did really well there. And I was thinking about like going to the um, Royal Military College and just like full on military career. The interesting thing is I broke my leg in grade 10. And that summer I was supposed to like go do all this like special training and stuff. And it just interrupted everything. And I think that was like (laughs) the universe watching out for me in a way by like, by just interjecting on life and and changing my plans. Yeah, that sounds, uh, I mean, that's what they say. Another phrase that's, that's common is like, you know, life, life is what happens when you're making plans. And, you know, like I've, uh, eventually I'm going to sit down and like actually kind of record a video or I actually tell my story because I've been kind of ping ponging all over the place my whole life. And it's, Mm -hmm. uh, interesting for me to think of like, well, this is where I've ended up and I'm really happy here. But, you know, looking back, there was a lot of, you know, 
like disappointments and, and kind of like curveballs and things. And um, I, I'm not one who believes in, you know, the idea of kind of like fate or everything's meant to be, but uh, there's some interesting stuff there. Um, sure. So another uh, common cultural narrative and kind of part of the like core of what this show is sort of about is this idea that we're by the age of 30, we're supposed to basically have everything figured out and kind of be on like our final path in life. And just, you know, from 30 to like death, we're just doing our thing. And for a lot of people, like I know I'm interviewing mostly people kind of around my age, I am still trying to expand out to like teenagers and grandparents as well. Um, but uh, the question I'm now asking my guests is uh, what age, if, if this has happened yet, at what age do you feel like you finally kind of got on the path that you wanted to actually continue on for a long time. Very recently, like I'm, um, only 32. So, um, if that 30 year old thing is true, I would say like maybe at 30, you might start to figure it out or it gets clearer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, the past, like, three years, um, I've just been finding myself, like, really happy and, like, successful in a way. Um, not necessarily, like, materially successful, but, like, finding success in, like, what I apply myself to um, in like in organizing and in advocacy work and and even formally in politics um i ran for city council in 2018 here in davenport and so yeah the last three years have been much clearer but to be honest like it's even only this year that those other pieces have clicked about like okay how how does this provide sustainability and stability because I do have a family and I have rent to pay and all those things. Right. So, um, very recent, I would say very recent. I, I do feel like I've kind of felt a bit of a calling something like pulling me for a long time for, for maybe the last like eight, nine years, but, um, certainly not clear as like, what am I good at? And like, what can also help me pay my bills? That's been very, very recent. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you had uh, seen this yet. I interviewed uh, Sherry DeNovo recently. And uh, in her opinion, the 40s are the, the best decade. Um, so it means that I got still more to look forward to because I'm uh, not quite there yet. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so Another question, uh, the next one that sort of ties into that is, um, what uh, would you say is one of the biggest obstacles that kind of delayed you or prevented you from finding that right path sooner? Um, I think me, I think myself, you know, I, um, I my 20s were pretty hard. Um, you know, I was like, I had addiction, issues and I um was experienced homelessness for for quite some time and um just lots of like you know poor decisions and and also like um really unfortunate things that happened to me so in some ways like that was an obstacle um but I would say as well that like 
the bigger obstacle, the more real and, and genuine one is, um, you know, is like allowing myself to actually kind of step in to myself and be like, be proud of myself. So it's kind of like the, the inner, not, not just the inner critic, but like the, um, Oh, what's that term that they always use? The imposter syndrome of like, am I qualified to do these things? Like, like, um, is this the right thing? My, you know, the last few years, um, when I was kind of talking about like my success in applying myself to things like that has come with me just leaning more and more into like that kind of, you know, I mentioned before that feeling that like tug or calling that I've got and like lean more into that and like trust that I'm on a path and trust that, um, you know, that if my, not just, I guess not just my intentions are good, but like I trust in myself and I'm like open to like learn and be criticized and make mistakes as well that, um, that this path will kind of keep me going. And I, you know, I'm not dogmatically religious. I, I am very spiritual and I do, you know, look for affirmations, um, and look for kind of indications that that you are on the right path. And, and I do definitely believe that, you know, when you lean in on that um, sense of like purpose or calling that, uh, you know, there's a bit of faith to it and trust, um, but that, that that's the kind of path towards maybe not always being successful um, or okay, even, uh, goodness knows I've not always been okay, even when I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Um, but, but it does take you to the places that, um, you need to go in life or that you're supposed to go in life. So, yeah. Yeah. To, uh, to kind of speak to that as well. I know I've brought this up on the show before, but people have asked me like, you know, why did I start this show or why, you know, what am I hoping to get out of it? And I've kind of explained that, uh, back in 2013, I started a podcast where I was interviewing people and I did that for a time. And then I stopped and was like, man, I miss doing that. And so I did it again in a different format. And then I had to stop that for various reasons. And then a couple more years, I'm like, man, I really miss interviewing people. And so I kind of figured out like of all the things I like doing, interviewing people just seems to really do something for me. And so I'm really investing into this and plan for this project to, to kind of go on for a while. So, you know, it's just that like, again, sometimes you try something and you like it, but maybe you don't stick with it right away. But, you know, if you do something or try enough things, you should eventually get a sense of like, okay, this thing really seems to be working for me. So just going to offer that little insight from my own experience. Um, so the next question here in the list, um, again, there's this idea, I think, of that adults are not supposed to, like, goof around and be silly unless they're playing with kids, basically, um, or, if, you know, like, they're a comedian or something. But, um, you know, being playful and, and kind of having fun is obviously very important to the human experience. So I want to ask you, what is the last silly or playful thing that you did on purpose that wasn't with your kid? <laughs> caveat it is was inspired by my kid um but 
wasn't uh, she wasn't present at the time but um we sometimes my my partner is in Nova Scotia right now so we do like a lot of zoom you know chats and hangouts and stuff and um they often will like have dance parties on zoom and just like recently we were like we should do the same thing like why leave it to just the eight-year-old you know so it's it's fun it's fun because you get to do yeah I'm, i do get a little bit nervous dancing around people sometimes but so on zoom you get the both best of both worlds like you're with someone but you're also like alone so you can kind of just forget that there's people watching you and just do your thing yeah yeah the dance parties are, are a thing that have come up a couple of times with that question and uh, that makes especially right now it makes a lot of sense because we're kind of all trapped at home a lot more and you know, dancing is kind of another uh, arguably integral part of the human experience <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so on a similar vein i've started asking this more recently um, self-care is, is also an important thing. And I know a lot of people think of self-care as like only, you know, things like going to a spa, something like really fancy and pampering, but it can be a very like small, simple things as well. So, uh, kind of in your own words, what's the last uh, act of self-care that you did for yourself? Um, I, I guess like the most recent one is like buying tea and drinking tea because I know how like good that feels but I often just like only drink coffee um so I went and bought some tea and that's been really nice um but generally like I I think cooking is kind of my go-to um feels very I mean eating good food of course is is great for self-care but there's something kind of like meditative about it and like creative as well. And um, kind of just put on music and cook something um, is typically kind of my go-to. And, you know, I actually even notice that like, if, um, if I have a week where I'm feeling like off or I'm feeling down even um, most most likely I have not cooked much that week. Um, so it is really like a, you know, a big part of kind of giving me those breaks and letting me use my hands and get creative and yeah. Yes. Cooking is something that I've gotten more into than ever this year. Not really because I like really wanted to, but just like it was a combination of uh, switching to a mostly plant-based diet for, you know, health reasons and like ethical reasons and uh, obviously like financial reasons. And so because I'm not doing takeout anymore or things like that, like I have to prepare a lot more of my own food and just finding ways to, to do that. Um, even something so simple as learning how to make my own home fries, which seems like a very simple thing, but for me, it still felt like an accomplishment or um, making, um, like, uh, my, my roommate taught me how to make uh, fermented, uh, like, homemade fermented buckwheat bread. And then we've also sometimes made pancakes out of that, which are really good. So um, I'm just like, man, a year ago, I would be looking at myself, like, who are you? But I'm like, oh, this is my new my new normal, and it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I still wouldn't say that I necessarily enjoy cooking, but uh, I definitely have more of an appreciation for it now. Cool. 
Yeah. Um, so the next question here in our series is what is the last new thing that you learned, whether it was a skill or like a piece of information and what is something new that you would like to learn, whether it's a skill or a piece of information? We talked a little bit at the beginning about um, the land acknowledgement. Um, that's been big for me, like learning a little bit through osmosis by like, um, just listening to my partner talk about her research and, and like even reading proofreading stuff. So, um, yeah, like I learned a lot about, you know, as I said, the, the dish with one spoon wampum, which was, um, yeah, just really kind of blew my mind. Um, just putting it again in, in context, kind of like grounding that in like, in context and in history and stuff. Um, but also the, you know, I was learning about um, Toronto Island specifically um, that not only was it, it used to be a peninsula, like it was connected to the mainland and then like a storm basically flooded the, the parts that connected it. And now we've got islands. Um, but that, ships like military ships used to actually like dock um at the island uh during wars um many wars that have happened here the the you know the revolutionary war and with the french and all of that so um yeah a lot of history i didn't really know about pretty cool um what do i want to learn um I don't know how to swim. I, I've never really known how to swim. And when I was a kid, I fell into a pool and it traumatized me. I, I think it's kind of my own, like, I just need to get over it and like allow myself to like start to get comfortable. But it's big for me. I think especially like my daughter loves swimming and, um, and a, I want to enjoy that with her, but also like, there feels like a bit of a safety element to it. Like should probably just know how to swim because you never know when you're suddenly going to be in water. So that's big for me. Yeah. Sounds cool. And I hope that uh, in the near future that you check that one off the list. Um, one thing that that just made me think of was the kind of the idea that people, cause I've seen uh, like these, I guess you might call them like an infographic, but I've seen like illustrations of how, uh, people think that when you're drowning that like it's people like flailing and screaming, but like actually more often when people are drowning, they're, they're like just kind of trying to like stay from mm. going under. So they look like they're more like, yeah. So I just kind of wanted to bring that up in case any of my listeners or, or viewers didn't know that um, go and look up what drowning actually looks like um, mm. because it's a good thing to know. So if you ever see it, you can help the person because <laughs> they're probably not going to be like, ah, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the next question here in our series uh, might be a bit tricky to answer, but we're getting some really interesting answers for it, which I'm, I'm happy about. What would you say are your two most dissimilar hats and hats being skills or interests? Yeah, I was thinking about this one and I, I didn't have a really good clean answer but what really kind of came to me was just thinking about um there's a 
there's a bit of a pull I feel between like my activism and like having a family and being a dad. Um, it's like, and, and the pull really kind of comes down to like um, providing for your family, which most times like activism doesn't, <laughs> doesn't do. So um, that's been a big pull, you know, and, and I feel like um, it's something that I, I kind of always have to balance is, you know, make sure money's coming in, make sure I'm paying my bills and feeding my family and that sort of thing. But then, you know, it's undeniable that we're in this time right now. Um, so much struggle, um, so much oppression and that, you know, especially, you know, what I kind of wrestle with a lot being a, like being a white man as well as like need to, I, I want to be able to look back at this time when I'm older and to be able to say that, like, I used the the privileges and the and the skills and the experiences that I do have towards, you know, the, what the time calls for. Um, so that's like that's a big struggle for me, and probably will continue to be in the future. Is like making sure that I'm always. Um, there for my family and supporting them, but then also really making sure that um, I'm doing what I can do to uh, respond to the state of the world right now and respond to my friends and neighbors that don't have the privileges that I do. Um, and like, you know, what's my role in that, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, certainly I can definitely see the kind of, I guess it's like similar uh, motivations, like you're trying to take care of others in both uh, instances, but it's kind of hard to, like when you're doing activism or when you're with your family, it's kind of hard to do the other thing at the same time. Um, or at least that's sort of my perception at the moment. Um yeah. So uh, the next question here is what is your kind of typical schedule like, and do you have a peak time of day? Yeah. Um, I work from home. Um, so my typical schedule is like from nine or 10 AM until it varies day to day. Some days are very busy and some days less. So um, I'm on zoom almost all day in meetings and doing trainings and um, that kind of thing. Uh, talking with residents across the city. Um, I try to, I, I mean, in a lot of ways I'm blessed. My daughter is doing remote school. So her schedule kind of helps give me a little bit of structure, like, you know, she'll come up at lunchtime and that's a good prompt for me to be like, oh yeah, I should probably eat too. Um, so that, that helps. And then by dinner time, by like five, six o'clock, um, I'm taking care of that. And then also, you know, a lot of in between is like organizing things and responding to emails and messages and phone calls and so, um, yeah, I'm pretty like on all day, um, and going and on my phone all day. 
Um, and then come like, come like 10 ish. Um, I start to like unwind and relax. I watch TV or something and eat ice cream, you know, my little like guilty pleasures at the end of the day and try and get a little bit of like solitude. And that actually usually pushes me to like staying up late and feeling tired in the morning. So it's not, it's not the ideal schedule, but it's what I got. Um, I'd say peak, like I'm like the afternoons are really like peak time for me. Usually a lot going on and like my mind is going. Um, but also like I get really, like my mind like really lights up in the evening, um, which is often why I stay up late because I just like read or have ideas, like want to write, want to talk to someone on the phone. Um, like fingers crossed, I don't get a job that needs me to wake up like super early in the morning because it's going to take me some time to get into that schedule. Yeah, definitely. I'm also uh, working from home and uh, have a kind of nine to five job. So, uh, but with all my different kind of things outside of that and kind of in a new relationship recently, I've been a little bit more kind of scattered and pulled in different directions lately, but um, eventually I will settle back into a, a groove. Um, so the next question here um, has to do with the pandemic more specifically. So the pandemic has obviously disrupted and now we're in, we're in lockdown part two. So uh, people's lives are getting disrupted again. Um, but also for a lot of people, there have been some positives to come out of it. And I was wondering in your case, what uh, specific uh, silver linings or positives have, re have resulted specifically because of the pandemic disruption for you? I mean, I have to just say like my, so currently I'm working um, on a project uh, that's gotten funded to build like mutual aid networks across Toronto. And um, maybe my first time getting paid for like precisely the kind of activism and organizing I do in my spare time. <laughs> um, so that was like really, yeah, I mean, I, I feel very, very blessed by that and very lucky that that opportunity, that, that funding was able to come and support me in that way. Um, but, you know, I also think, and this is like a bit for me, a bit for kind of like everyone, community, that sort of thing. Like there has been a kind of forcing people out of, out of the status quo and kind of like forcing people to, to question things that they've taken for granted. And I think that that's actually a really, it's mixed. It's a very tragic time. So it's like, it's hard for me to say that it's like a good thing, but like, I do think that kind of coming out of it, one of the, one of the strong kind of outcomes is going to be more people um, that may have, built a little bit of empathy. You know, there's a lot of people in Toronto that this kind of like lockdown and restriction in life and like limited kind of mobility is like a daily occurrence and like job precarity and housing precarity, like so many people that that's not, it's not going to end when COVID ends for them. It's not going to go like their normal was not normal. Um, as as people like to describe it as. So, you know, I'm hopeful that a little bit of empathy gets built 
through this time, a little, even if it's a little taste of like what other people's struggles might be, I'm certainly not going to compare. Um, but then also, you know, forcing people to go out and talk to their neighbors. Um, it's like really this thing that gets overlooked. Like we're really comfortable kind of being in our, you know, in our camps, right? Like, you know, a political party or like a, a group or like a certain, you know, like set of values. Um, and it's great to have those communities. They're, they're super important, but we skip over as well that like, we have to, we actually have to like do the work in our communities. And some of the people in our communities aren't going to speak the same language, aren't going to have the same political opinions may not even have the same values. Um, but like, I think it's necessary in the long run for, for society, for us to like move forward that we don't just shut people out and that we also don't fall into kind of like complacency that like, Oh, other people will deal with this. Yeah, I think you did point out some things that are definitely like, you know, getting people kind of breaking out of the status quo. Like so many people I've talked to have said, like, this is just giving them more time to to either uh, invest into things that they've been wanting to do for a long time or start projects that they've wanted to start for a while or just figuring out what's really important to them. And so that is obviously those are all positives for sure. Um, so the next question in our set here, um, I like to ask my guests because uh, you kind of touched on this earlier on, but mental health everyone has a mental health it's you know we have physical health mental health emotional health and I, I like to bring awareness to that and to try to help break stigmas and things so i like to ask my guests uh, if they've had any mental health struggles or even struggles with you know other disabilities and how they've worked through them and you can say as much or as little as you want to about that mental health's been big big part um of my life uh, especially like through my 20s um my mom was diagnosed with bipolar. And so like the last few years of her life, that was like um, pretty much like kind of consumed her sense of self and like a lot of the kind of day-to-day -day things that she had to deal with. Um, and that maybe was like formally kind of where I got introduced to the idea of like mental health and psychiatry and all of those things. Um, I've struggled with it a lot. I think, I think now at 32, I can look back and things make sense. But at the time, you know, like um, I was diagnosed with bipolar at one point, you know, I've like, I've had pretty severe addiction. Um, challenges um and then like anxiety uh, like a lot of anxiety attacks that um even like hospitalized me so that definitely uh was like a huge defining piece of my 20s um got introduced to counseling which is amazing <laughs> and i think everyone should do it <laughs> Um, and is, you know, been huge for me. Like I've gone back to counseling, like many, many times I'm starting again on Monday. So, um, huge 
And then, you know, more recently, I'm in school as well. I'm, I'm doing my undergrad at Ryerson and um, struggle, like really struggle with like schoolwork and like that kind of focus. And so lately I've been talking about like whether or not I've got like, you know, an attention deficit disorder, um, which is like not been formally diagnosed but like but yeah it's been I think it's been really important for me to be okay with that because then that lends to me being able to say no or ask for help or not punish myself when I something doesn't happen as perfectly as I really wanted it to um and to just kind of be more overall like caring and and forgiving. And I think it lends to me as well, like, you know, even being a dad and like how important it has been the last few years of my life to just have those spaces where you're, however you're feeling is okay. Like don't have to change, like, oops, like let's talk about it and like kind of focus on how we respond. Right. And like, our behaviors as opposed to like the feelings themselves. So that's what I really strive to do for my daughter is like let her feel things and express herself and just try and help her feel comfortable in that. Yeah, absolutely. The next question, not specifically about her, but in the next question that I ask uh, after that is, relationships are obviously another really big important part of our lives and if you have supportive relationships you can probably make it a lot further a lot sooner than if you don't have supportive relationships in your life so I started asking my guests the about the close relationships in their life whether it's their partners their roommates their best friend their their family uh, whoever you consider your close relationships uh, how have they been in terms of like supportive or not supportive in terms of your your goals and, and the path that you're trying to follow I feel blessed. I do have a pretty big kind of community of support and and those relationships that I've built. Um, and my daughter is a huge piece of that as well. Um, just like a mirror of like love and, and in a lot of ways, like is a really good temperature check to say like, if she's not doing well, like it's a good time for me to also reflect on like, how I'm doing because I'm like parenting her. Right. And, and that's a big impact. Um, but like hands down, uh, my partner has been like the biggest support in my life. Um, I've known each other for quite some time and, and only started dating, um, just shy of four years ago. Um, and, yeah, has really just like stuck with me, jumped right into like a family and 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 helping to raise a kid. Um, but also, you know, really just encouraging me and giving me space and and to be really like honest at times like financial support and stability um for me to do things that didn't provide that, but, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today without having that space to be able to do those things. And like, let's be real, like 
fail a whole bunch of times um and for her to to still to still like believe in me to still be there um and it's been great as well for me too because uh she certainly isn't without like her boundaries it hasn't always been easy and so um it's good learning for me as well to really like get comfortable with like um taking criticism uh and with being able to like be introspective and reflect on things and learn like you know what is a genuine what is genuine apology look like what is real kind of like reconciliation not in the indigenous context but um just you know interpersonally what does that look like and then also kind of thinking about um you know the the ways that I want to grow sometimes you know when you're in a relationship and you're or or maybe even not a relationship but when you think about what you have to lose that you cherish so much then it helps you think about like the kinds of ways you need to grow um or the things that you kind of need to like build your your capacity around so that you don't lose those things because a lot of times things are still in your control you know i can think about past relationships where like it felt out of my control but as i look back i'm like could have i could have grown in this time i could have definitely changed these behaviors like there's so many things that i had the power to do so um yeah again a long answer but my partner has been so like instrumental to everything i feel successful about today yeah that's that's really great and like i said having that is certainly helpful like i've known friends that have uh, either been you know on their own for a long time or maybe in not the best most healthy relationships and or maybe not having most supportive parents and that can really slow people down for sure um, you did mention uh, there it seems like all, all of your answers are actually kind of like uh, foreshadowing the next question which is I'm sure not intentional but kind of a fun coincidence because <laughs> um, you mentioned failing a bunch of times and something that I do ask it I, I asked a specific question but I'm going to reframe it slightly here. Because I usually ask, like, what is something that you failed at that you're really glad that you failed at, but because you learned from it. But I'm going to ask instead, what what failure um, did you you feel that you learned the most from, and what was it, and what did you learn? I the, I've put my hand to a couple of things, like in the last few years. That um, so I'll I'll just give one example, and and I'm not going to say it's like the example but it but i think it represents pretty well um back in 2017 i was like working um really kind of tuned into this idea of like how can activists kind of build up local momentum and then actually like translate that into an election and like run candidates and and take some power back in in our in our government um, and so I was like learning tons and talking to people in other cities that had done similar things, like even in, in like in Spain and down in the States. And I was um, working, I, a group of folks in Toronto came together and, and we were working on this project. And it taught me a lot of things like, you know, um, it, it did kind of end up failing. Um, I think really what happened was like, 
there were there were definitely a couple of like blunders along the way, like poor decisions. But then also, you know, sometimes projects drag on and they don't. It doesn't feel like they're making many gains, and then people kind of just like walk away, or they feel like their time is stretched and they need to to dedicate their focus on other things. So that's like pretty much what happened here. Um, so it taught me kind of a lot about, you know, I do often find myself in what I'll call like leadership positions. Like I, I feel comfortable kind of like taking the lead on things and I, and I feel like I have some, some skills and some experiences to lend. Um, but it, it taught me a lot about leadership because, um, two things. One is when you put yourself in a leadership position and, or you find yourself in a leadership position where people are kind of looking at you or, um, or maybe not looking to, for you to make decisions, but, but valuing your insight, right. That um, you have to believe in yourself and you can't like waffle and doubt and like dismiss the kind of position that you're in. Um, and sometimes we don't choose to be in those positions, but, um, but there is something about like stepping into that. So that's one thing, but the flip side of that as well is like power. And, and I think especially, you know, I'm a white dude. And so I have a lot of um, mobility and um, privilege. And so you know, it's not necessary to say that I should never be in a leadership position, but being mindful about um, the layers to that. And also being mindful that, you know, if you don't want, if you're in a leadership position and you don't want power to all just like pool around you, which it happens um, so easily, then you actually have to be very intentional um very mindful and you actually have to build infrastructure and practices that work against that because um because it can so easily happen like organically so yeah that taught that kind of taught me a lot it it really helped me learn what i feel is like my place in all of this as like wanting to do these things ready to take action and leadership but also you know, a white man in, in this context right now um, and the histories and the traumas around that. Um, and there's a space somewhere in there for me. Um, I'm still kind of learning, but that, that was a big, a big failure that, that taught me a lot around that. Very nice. Um, so the next question here, um, sorry, I'm kind of speeding through, we're trying to keep the the show on track here. I, I'm really appreciating your answers. And actually uh, your answers have been very like something, like I said, it's almost like foreshadowing. Like, you know, you've kind of indirectly given a lot of advice or the two of us kind of from what we've said. Um, Cause I, I do hope that uh, younger people will listen to this or watch this and, and get something from it. And I'd started asking my guests to give advice for teenagers, for 30 year olds and for elders um, if you want to do so, um, you can give the same piece for all three, or you can give separate advice for each one, um, whatever you feel more comfortable with. Okay. Um, I'd say for, for teenagers, um, 
you know, some, some advice that I would give is like, don't be afraid of your mistakes. Um, and your question was fantastic. Like, don't, don't go through your twenties thinking that you have to figure it out by the time you're 30, like, you know, go through your twenties, um, or the rest of your teens, you know, building learning and, and building awareness and building empathy and understanding and your fails, your failures are actually going to be like pivotal to that. Um, so learn from them. Um, that's like a really big one. And then, um, you know, find at least like one really, really good friend that, um, that you can kind of be yourself around and, and let your guard down and, um, and find some safe spaces because uh, you're probably going to do and say a lot of things that aren't cool. <laughs> um, and it's really important to have a place um, and, you know, maybe it could be a counselor too, but, you know, to have a place where you can express yourself and get criticism and feedback in a way that, um, that isn't too like hurtful and traumatizing, you know? Um, so that, that's my teenager advice. Um, for 30 year olds, I would say, you know, expand your bubble. I, that's got some jargon right now with the pandemic, but like, you know, we get, we get caught up. I mentioned before, like, you know, we, we find like people we agree with politically or like the same interests and stuff. But I really think that it's so vital that we build community really hyper locally. And that takes going and talking to people that you probably pass by a lot. Um, and that's how communities all around the world survive um, and thrive is by knowing knowing all your neighbors and getting out of the discomfort of talking to someone you don't know, or that you don't agree with. Um, so I think that that's, uh, I think that's huge. And I would encourage people to go and talk to their neighbors. Um, for grandparents, um, this isn't universal advice for grandparents because some, some grandparents are, are, are cool. They're down. Um, but, but I do generally like to just kind of, whenever I do talk to grandparents, you know, remind them of how, um, you know, youth and growing up is the same <laughs> throughout time that the rebellion, the pushing against old structures, the, the new ideas, the challenges. And, um, like, I think it's easy for us to, get caught up in our moments. You know, you think about if someone grew up in the sixties and feeling like they were a part of that time and now they're this age, um, that that struggle never ends and that it's actually the role of young people to challenge things. And then the role of elders to share wisdom and their learnings. And that's a balance. And so, you might not understand everything, but try and remember back to when you were 18 and, um, and the things that got you fired up and, uh, and have some empathy and understanding. 
Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I uh, I agree. I usually just let the the guests uh, and I try to let the guests' answers generally stand on their own. And I'm just going to say that one. I definitely agree. Um, so the next question here actually is going to be a question for me. If you would like to ask me a question at this point, uh, this is where I'm giving the guests the chance to do that. Yeah, actually, you you touched on my question a little bit. Um, yeah, like what. What made you feel this like calling to to talk to people, interview people? Because um, it seems like it's stuck. Yeah, like I did. Yes, I yeah, I kind of uh, got into that a little bit earlier. It was just. Um it's kind of funny because like I've always been very curious and I've always loved learning and like kind of trying different things. And I've always been interested in so many things and there's never been like a job that actually like encapsulated a lot of things that I liked, or if I tried to get those kinds of jobs, it didn't work. And so I was sort of forced to like do a lot of the stuff on my own time away from work and separate from work. And so doing certain projects, I, I kind of was like, oh, hey, this is allowing me to scratch a bunch of different itches, or at least more itches than my job scratches. And so um, it just so happens that this particular project is like that, that you know, I get to interview people, which I love, I get to learn, I get to create, you know, promotional graphics, which I love designing, um, and, you know, sharing it with people and kind of creating something and kind of bringing people together. Like, there's just so many aspects of this that are kind of goals of mine or things that make me happy. And so I'm, even though it took longer than expected to figure it out, I eventually got there. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the thing. And this part of the thing, the, the show, the original idea was going to be focusing on like other generalists, but I, I ended up kind of broadening it to just like, well, obviously not even people who specialize, you know, have other like hobbies and interests. It's just, they might be really specialized in one thing. And so I wanted to like kind of, you know, talk to different people and kind of get those stories from a wide range of people. Um, but as like a generalist, as someone with a bunch of different interests, like, you know, society and like the workforce world is not, it's not really meant for people like me, I feel like. And so I wanted to put something out there that other people like me could feel less kind of alone and hopeless and frustrated and be like, oh, okay, now I have a better idea of maybe how to go at this a little differently that might work a little bit better. So that's kind of my clumsy semi-long-winded answer <laughs> beautiful yeah no that's amazing to hear yeah uh and I'm, I'm loving doing it even like the thing i noticed about this show is like even if i'm not like feeling that well or if i'm kind of tired once i get in and i'm actually doing the interview like i'm just it feels like it feels natural to me so it tells me i'm, I'm on the right track um yeah so the next question here uh, kind of the last one actually is uh, are there any specific causes or charities that you'd like to raise awareness of? I think the thing that we need to just talk about every day is um, land back. I think the the genocide against Indigenous people in Canada and that ongoing struggle um, is actually like the very core fundamental piece of everything that we experience kind of on the surface level. Um, so I would really like strongly advise people to check out um, Raven Trust. They, um, they do fundraising and support for lots of um, different kind of campaigns and, and indigenous struggles across Canada. Of course, you know, 1492 Land Back Lane um, 
right now is, is needing a lot of support. Um, and, you know, research other things too. There's, um, it's not, there's so many indigenous nations and, and histories in what we call Canada and, um, yeah, go out and learn and research and, um, and find ways that can support, uh, what's happening on the ground. Because I think until we really address that, um, you know, everything from, um, poverty to the environment to, uh, like racialization, um, all really tie back to, uh, land back and to addressing that, that history of violence that's happened in this country. So. Yeah. And again, I am glad you brought that up. Uh, when I had Sherry on, uh, she kind of mentioned a bunch of the other issues. Like there's a bunch of things going on across Canada right now. And, um, I, for, for sort of time purposes, I, I don't bring them all up each time, but I'm always pleased when the, when the guest has some awareness and brings it up and, and kind of raises some extra awareness. Um, yeah. So, uh, at this point, um, we do plugs. So if if anybody watching or listening to this wants to kind of keep up with what you're doing or connect with you or just kind of find you online, uh, where are you comfortable with them doing that, if anywhere? Yeah, um, I most of my social media time I spend on the Davenport Mutual Aid Network, which is a Facebook group. Um, so people can check that out and join. Um, and you could find me on Facebook as well. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, which is like my secondary space, I'm at how now internet, all one word. Um, and that's pretty much where I exist on the internet. Those are my two spots. I'm I'm on kind of everywhere more so because it feels necessary than because I really want to. Um, lately, I've like I said, I've been more distracted and pulled in different directions lately. So my social media presence has kind of dropped off in the last couple of weeks. But um, yeah, sort of my usual thing is um, the Curiosity Guide series, which is a series of free educational eBooks. They're all in PDF format. They're on my website. You can download any of them that you're interested in. Um, I have merch, which is original designs of mine that if you like them, you can get them on like shirts and mugs and other different things. So that's redbubble.com slash people slash artist creates and curiosityguides.com. I have music on Spotify, iTunes, Bandcamp, Artemis creates there. And uh, yeah, I've got a book published in, in December. Um, and again, I want to give out a shout out to uh, past guest Billy Schultz and her podcast, Nothing to Fear, and Quarantine Kitchen on Instagram, which is a cool cooking show um, that uh, I've watched a few times. And eventually I might even get on there myself. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and ArtemisCreates.com is my website. Everything else that I do is there. And uh, yeah, oh, and uh, you know, if you want to subscribe and leave uh, uh, reviews on iTunes for this podcast, that would also be very appreciated. Uh, what else? Yeah, it's pretty much all. So, so yeah, we're going to do the uh, traditional hat sign off now, which my my viewers will be well versed with. Um, and again, for the podcast listeners, this is why I encourage you to make the trouble. Even if you just go to YouTube and watch like the last five minutes of the episode, you'll get to see this. Um, but uh, yeah, we both put on a hat and we we wave goodbye to round out the episode. 
Um, and I'll just admit, like I was just telling the guest, um, I'm going to edit that part out, but um, uh, my, my room is currently like half in boxes. And unfortunately, I can't easily access my hats at the moment. So I'm kind of improvising a little bit. But um, so this is actually a, um, a headband, but it will fit over. Oh, I like it. It looks good. Very classy. <laughs> oh, this is... <laughs> This looks very strange. No, it's amazing. Because <laughs> usually the hats that I wear, like they don't fit properly over my headphones, so it's usually this kind of awkward balancing act. Um, but uh, this this <laughs> this looks like a very stretched out like beanie. Yeah. Um, it actually is a like a it's like a tube like headband thing. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So it's a it's a purple fabric. It's kind of like a toque with like the top cut out basically <laughs> for the for the listeners who don't see it and uh nam is wearing a black uh what kind of a hat is that is that a i don't know it's not a fedora but it's, it's sort of a fedora. it's like a cross between a fedora and a cowboy hat almost it is something yeah. like that um yeah i know if anyone's watching this who's actually like a hat expert they're gonna be like so annoyed like how do you not know it's this kind of hat and i'm like i'm not a hat expert it's just the name of the show yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so with that said we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up and we're gonna go off and do the bonus episode next which uh, you will find on patreon.com slash artemis creates and uh, i'd like to thank you again Nahum, for being on the show uh, i really appreciated your answers today and uh, yeah, we will wave goodbye to, oh, I gotta do the other hand there. So we'll wave goodbye to my lovely audience. And uh, yeah, check us out on, on Patreon. Thank you. Until next time, yeah. <laughs>